Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, a CME podcast series where each week we translate today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. I'm Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult series. Be sure to visit primed.com podcast after the discussion for more information about today's article and to claim CME CE credit. Julie is a 56-year-old female coming in for her six-month follow-up. She has a history of having gestational diabetes with her three pregnancies when she was in her 30s. When she was 48, she was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Her current medications include metformin, 1,000 milligrams twice a day, basal insulin at 34 units every evening, and despite your best efforts at counseling her on diet and exercise, she hasn't made many changes. Her A1C is currently 7.8%. Her latest lipid profile demonstrates a total cholesterol of 280, an LDL of 170, and her HDL is low. Her father, on family history, had his first MI at 42. What are we going to do to help Julie? Hi, this is Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. And joining me to discuss what's new in the world of type 2 diabetes is Dr. Jill Terrian, Associate Professor and Director of Nurse Practitioner Programs at the University of Massachusetts Medical School's Graduate School of Nursing. Good morning, Jill. Good morning, Frank. So we can't go through a day, we can't go through a half day without seeing uh, patients with type 2 diabetes. And we had a, a, a set of recommendations that just came out a little bit over a year ago, and now we have an update. Um, before we get into the update, Jill, can you tell me a little bit about how we are approaching type 2 diabetes in, in, in the new decade? Right. So I think, you know, early identification is always, you know, tops on the list. But as far as the um, first-line therapy, it's metformin, comprehensive lifestyle changes, which or management, that include, you know, the management of weight and physical activity. And those, you know, basically are the main recommendations. And then also with the provider, you know, providing patient-centered care because everybody is different a little bit, and then shared decision-making along the goals of treatment. I think we forget the fact that um, comprehensive care begins with addressing lifestyle management and, and, then, and then medication. And it's so important because we get so fixated on that A1C goal. Um, so as I said, the ADA came out with a 2018 guideline and then recently updated it. Um, what does that update tell us we should be doing or offering to our patient, Julie? So it's interesting, and that's why this, you know, article and update caught my attention is because they really came out with a very comprehensive guideline the end of December 2018, and now here we are in 2019, and there is this update. And basically, it looked focused on, you know, outcomes of two very large cardiovascular trials and their outcomes, and what was found in those trials and being recommended now to patients with type 2 diabetes. So if you have somebody basically that is at high risk of um, a cardiovascular disease, and that would really be Julie's profile that we have uh, put forth here, that, you know, that they would benefit from either going on a GLP-1 receptor agonist or an SGL-2 inhibitor. So um, in particular, she does have many cardiac risk factors, and we could get her A1C under better control with an SGLT2 inhibitor. 
But you mentioned a GLP-1 receptor agonist. Um, what was the data about adding that to someone who's at high cardiovascular risk? Well, first of all, let's look at her risk factor. She's over 55. Um, she's got a dad that had an MI at age 42. And she's her lipid profile could be a lot better. And so where it comes down to the GLP-1 receptor agonist being possibly the best benefit for her right now at this time is that it does have about a 0.2 to a 0.5% lowering ability with a GLP-1 receptor agonist, um, and also the potential for weight loss. There's an average weight loss anywhere between um, 8 and 12 pounds, depending on the agent you use and, and who your patient is. Okay, so for someone who's got type 2 diabetes, and has multiple cardiac risk factors, using a GLP-1 receptor agonist lowers both their cardiovascular risk as well as their um, weight and improves their diabetes and lipid profile. And as you mentioned earlier, Julie probably also needs a statin. Probably. So, but the other thing, Frank, to go on this GLP-1 receptor agonist, is Julie able to give herself an injection once a week? Yeah. So, so these agents, except for one, are all injectables. And uh, the one that's oral is very expensive and hard to come by, but I suspect it'll become more and more popular over time. So you're absolutely right. What do we do about patients with heart failure or kidney disease? What, is, what does this report suggest for them? So out of those large cardiovascular trials, it showed that um, there is proven um, cardiovascular benefit from doing an SGLT2 inhibitor. Um, right. So uh, the, the data shows that if you have a patient who already has some degree of heart failure, has a decrease in ejection fraction, or has some degree of kidney disease, addition of an SGLT2 inhibitor to their diabetic medication profile lowers their risk of adverse cardiac events and may even slow the progression of some kidney disease. That's, that's pretty amazing. I mean, it really is because um, if you look at, you know, when you think of somebody with chronic kidney disease, you're always being very preserving of what am I going to, you know, does, is this medication I'm prescribing going to have an effect on their kidneys? And the bottom line is, with people with chronic kidney disease and heart failure, that they can have a cardiac protection with this SGL2 inhibitor. Mm -hmm. So one of my big concerns about SGLT2 inhibitors is that there is a small but significant risk of gangrene. Um, and you've got already someone with an, a decreased ejection fraction, increased kidney disease. Um, they may have considerable dependent edema. These are risks, and we probably need to be fairly open about discussing some of those factors with patients before we start them? Well, it's the risk versus benefit always. And the thing is, if somebody has, you know, had limbs that have been compromised in the past, this is going to give you pause to start them on this drug. Sure. This sure. class of drugs, I should say. Um, one of the big questions you raised earlier, Jill, is how do we get these paid for? And I don't think there's a clear answer. Every insurer has a preferred agent. Patients with high deductibles don't like hearing that they're going to be spending three, six, eight hundred dollars a month on these meds. And then patients um, on state insurance plans or maybe Part D Medicare are are also going to be suffering. There's there's no good clear answer. Um, I hope over time some of these will become generic and it will become more accessible. But I have found that if you fight the fight and put up with all the paperwork and document 
um, uh, on prior auths, you can get most things covered. Maybe not on the agent you prefer, but you can get most classes covered if you try. Another comment that they made uh, in this update was about, you know, making sure that patients have access to diabetes support. So whether you have a diabetes educator in your practice or available to you um, that can talk about, you know, it's, it's never too late to continue to talk about nutrition and the small but significant changes that can have long-term good effects over time, taking the stairs instead of the elevator, um, parking your car far away so it causes you to walk more. Are they into technology where they want to wear something that will track their steps? Just because you wear a tracker doesn't mean you're an athlete. It can just kind of give you, you know, an idea of how much you're moving in a day, and it can be quite enlightening. It, it, it certainly can be. And as you mentioned at the very beginning, we have to help Julie start working on dietary changes and some lifestyle management. Um, the good part about both these agents is that they do help with, with weight loss. Well, Jill, I, I think this is going to be a practice-changing paper, and I appreciate your reviewing it for our discussion today. Thank you, Frank. Practice pointer. For patients with type 2 diabetes and multiple cardiac risk factors, consider adding a GLP-1 agonist to help lower their cardiac risk. And for patients with um, a decreased ejection fraction in heart failure or a history of end-stage renal disease, adding an SGLT2 inhibitor to their drug regimen may be beneficial at lowering their adverse cardiac event rate. Join us next time when we talk about the role of cannabis use in pregnancy. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. To claim credit and receive additional information about the article referenced in today's episode, visit primemed.com podcast, and see you next week.